0: Those emotions that I didn't have resolved were still dictating my life and guiding me and protecting me, I thought, and, and it caused me to have a buffer between me and the world. And I never really connected with people. I never really was intimate in an emotional way. I was going through life on cruise control, sort of, uh, you know, thinking everything was fine, but really I was guarded and I was in a fear state. And plant medicine allowed me to connect with that and learn that about myself and drop my guard because that was something that served me when I was five, six, seven, eight years old. It wasn't something serving me now. So I understood it. I felt it. My amygdala connected with the, my prefrontal cortex. New patterns of neuro, neurological lineage were created. Synaptic plasticity—all the things I know that your listeners really are into—and the brain evolved and shifted into a new state of self-awareness that was now authentically me at my age now, as opposed to operating from a five-year-old childhood sort of mind.
1: Collective Insights is a voyage through topics and technologies revolutionizing human well-being. Groundbreaking approaches for a better world and a better life await you. Welcome to Collective Insights.
2: So today we have Dr. Jeff McNary. Dr. Jeff has been working in the healthcare field for 25 years and is the Chief Medical Officer at Rhythmia, an all-inclusive luxury medically licensed plant medicine center in Guanacast, Costa Rica. Dr. Jeff has over 25 years of experience working in a variety of medical environments and has witnessed the struggles of individuals trying to heal. Through Dr. Jeff's intense experiences with the most desperate patient populations, he has seen that true healing comes from within. I want to welcome you to the show.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you.
2: Yeah, fantastic. So you have an incredible story. Um, if we could just start, I would love to get a little bit a uh, little bit of background um, and and really just to understand how you became involved with rhythmia.
0: Yeah, sounds good. So. I started off my career studying medical anthropology. I studied Latin American indigenous ethnobotany as an undergrad. And then I went and got a master's in public health at UCLA, and I studied health policy and program development. And in the healthcare field at that time, I learned and saw that symptomology um, sort of approaches to wellness were not actually helping people overcome their problems, whether that was mental health issues or deep Medical issues both and I became a bit disillusioned even though I was going to go to medical school and applied to medical school got in But then I I just saw that the way the Western model was wasn't resonating with me Even though I know it's great for lots of things. Um, It wasn't connecting with me. So I wanted to go deeper into sort of what causes disease and what causes Anxiety and depression and addiction and trauma because those were the things I was noticing people were struggling with the most and I got a doctorate in psychology after that and Started working with those patient populations at inpatient psychiatric hospitals. I worked um, Managed a rehab in in Los Angeles called passages Malibu. I was the director of that place for eight years And had a private practice doing my postdoc hours out in Pasadena at a psychiatric hospital so I was seeing that um, the modalities of whether it was medication or um, talk therapy that was very sporadic because my, my clients were very high risk. And, you know, oftentimes they wouldn't really trust anybody to go deep and going deep is really important for trauma and other things. Or they were just unable to attend sessions because of their psychiatric condition. So um, I was getting discouraged basically by like what was happening and what I looked like, what my field looked like, you know, it was kind of bleak. I thought. So um, while I was running the rehab in LA, the good thing about that, there's lots of interesting things about that particular rehab. It had a lot of holistic practices that were new to me. Um, Passages had Chinese medicine. It had body work. It had meditation, had spiritual counseling, in addition to sort of the traditional things that we all think about with rehabs, with groups and such. But um, it opened my eyes a little bit to there's these other sort of Eastern philosophies and just different holistic ways to approach illness. And so um, I wasn't really an expert on any of that, but I was, I was becoming more aware of those things. And then I met uh, a patient named Jerry Powell. <laughs> He's our CEO of Rhythmia now, so I laugh about it. But um, he was a very uh, difficult patient. Um, he had a lot of trauma. He had a lot of addiction issues. That's why he was at the rehab. And him and I sort of hit it off, and, which was interesting because, you know, I didn't expect that. But it was, uh, we had a lot in common, which is really funny. But um, I worked with him after he left Passages. He was there for two months inpatient. I worked with him individually, but he, he also had a treatment team of therapists. And I was kind of more of like supervising his care while he was there. And um, he, would, he did really, very well. Um, he got rid of his Demerol addiction, which he thought was the only reason he was there. He was, you know, when you think about addiction, you think, okay, well, you're, you're drinking too much alcohol, you're doing cocaine, you're doing all kinds of crazy drugs, Demerol, and being abusive. So he just thought, well, I'm only here for Demerol. That's it. So when he got out of the rehab, he was still drinking, he was still doing drugs. He wasn't doing Demerol, but he was still unhappy. So five years of treatment with Jerry and counseling him and coaching him as a life coach sort of more than I I wasn't really doing therapeutic work with him I was more of like a life coach. Uh, he just got suicidal again eventually because he wasn't getting better. I was trying to keep him alive, to be honest. You know, I promised his family that I would make sure he didn't die. That was pretty much the extent of it because he was really struggling. So he happened upon plant medicine, and that's where everything changed. That's where I started to learn about it.
2: Amazing. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's a profound story. I mean, I heard it today. Um, and it, there's a lot of comedy in it. There's a lot of <laughs> uh, profound uh, just insights, and, and so it's amazing that that's been your course. It's really become um, a lesson in ethnobotany for you. It's become this application of where you started now moving into plant medicine in a, in a retreat center, which is quite amazing. Yes. And, um, you know, Rhythmia is really known as an ayahuasca retreat center. Correct. Um, and so, you know, not everybody understands what ayahuasca is. Yeah. Um, and so for those folks that are unfamiliar, mm-hmm. uh, do you want to talk a little bit about ayahuasca, how it's been used traditionally over the ages sure. by shamans, mm-hmm. um, both to cure sickness to open the mind to different dimensions
0: yes absolutely it's a really exciting topic you know i love it so ayahuasca is the blend of two plants that come natively from the amazon basin of south america mostly in colombia brazil uh there's other parts peru there's other areas of northern south america that have this these plants that grow there one of them is the vine component and the vine is what they call this is the ayahuasca vine and in the vine they have plant-based alkaloids, their are active ingredients called beta-carbolines, and those are harmine, harmaline, and tetrahydroharmine. and those are monoamine oxidase inhibitors, which is a lot of big words for a lot of complicated medical talk for just saying that turns off the stomach enzymes so that the active ingredient of dimethyltryptamine, which is in the other plant component, can be absorbed into the body. So the, the beta-carbolines are important to sort of shut down temporarily the parts of the stomach that are going to absorb and break down things and, and you know digest things, it turns those off in a sense. And then the dimethyltryptamine, which is in a leaf-based plant that's added to the compound that you drink, and it's a it's like a tea, that was is the active ingredient. Now, dimethyltryptamine is already in our bodies; we already have some in us, and it's stored behind the eyes, which is interesting. It's stored in the layer in the inner layer of the lungs. It's in the cerebral spinal fluid, and they theorize that a lot of it is produced and comes from the pineal gland, but that's just a theory. They've been able to show that it does come from that in rat studies, but not in human studies yet. So um, people often ask, well, what is dimethyltryptamine about anyway? Well, it's released when we die into our bodies. It's released when we have lucid dreams. It's also something that allows us to have connection with ourselves and others. It's often, I like to describe it as, it's our intuition. It's those feelings like, also deja vu, like I've been here before, there's something that's familiar about this. A lot of that has to do with DMT because it helps us connect to ourselves, to nature, to others, people say to the universe. And it's a really interesting uh, compound that when you take a little bit extra of it, through an ayahuasca ceremony, it enhances all of those things that are happening. So the, the connection with self and the connection with others and with you know family, ancestors, also universal things. And my biggest f- favorite part about it is with nature, can, connects you a lot with nature. It has a lot to do with, that's why people that drink ayahuasca often feel very uh, connected to climate change issues. They like to, to see, they can see the planet suffering. So they kind of get in line with that too, it's sort of a theme. Very interesting. Amazing. Yeah. yeah.
2: And DMT, it's known as the spirit molecule. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yes. Profound. Um, and the the monoamine oxidase inhibitor action, does that also raise levels of norepinephrine, uh, serotonin, dopamine in Correct. the brain as well? Correct. So it you, does. So you get that almost antidepressant.
0: Yes, definitely. It's it's a 5-HTP agonist. So in the neurons in the brain, as you know, they, the, the 5-HTP gets hit like a button from the dimethyl, or from the, from the, the MEOI component and the, the DMT component, it hits it and it starts the chain reaction that releases serotonin into the synaptic cleft. And that's where it recalibrates. And I like to call it uh, priming the pump. So if you have like a dry well, you want to add a little water and pump, it and then the well starts working. It's kind of like that. It's people that have you know neurochemical imbalances or certain sort of deficiencies can get balanced with their norepinephrine, epinephrine, dopamine, and serotonin. So that's why it's a great mood enhancer.
2: Amazing, amazing. And so ayahuasca—it's a brew, it's a beverage. Yeah. Um, where do, do you grow the plant medicine for arrhythmia where does it come from where does the vine come from where does the the leaf come from um, how is it harvested um, is it sustainable
0: we that's a great question i love that question so um, we have various sources of our of our vine and our in our leaf and because of the the controversial nature of the legalization of ayahuasca and dmt throughout the world we keep that confidential only because of for safety and for proprietary sort of information. But we get it from shamans and from their indigenous villages. And they're growing it and harvesting it. And they have a certain system that they're using about how they cultivate it. But basically it grows um, naturally in those regions that I mentioned. It also grows naturally in Costa Rica. There's regions in the center of the country in the southern part where it's more rain, rainforest and lush where there's a, a natural abundance of, of this, of these plants. And there's certain plants, depending on the shamans where they live, that are DMT rich. Now, now all plants have DMT in them, but there's certain ones like chacruna, mimosa tenuiflora. There's Syrian rue has actually is an MOI. Has other there's other plants that have these same substances that are prevalent. So um, it's a big thing, a big topic now is how do we not let ayahuasca become endangered? How do we protect it? There's ways to harvest it and, and cycle it and grow it in a way that is responsible, that the shamans that we work with are engaged in that.
2: How long does it take for a vine to become fully mature?
0: Six to eight years on the high end and four to five on the low end if it's in the right sort of environment. Amazing. Yeah.
2: And so every region then, there's slight differences. Obviously, Obviously, there's, there's chemical differences. There probably is physiologic differences too, and yeah. the user has different experiences using from,
0: let's say, Colombia versus Brazil. Absolutely. Yes, there is. And those differences are seen in the intentions also of the people making the brew. There's Icaros, which are chants and songs that they'll sing. There's intention setting that goes into the making of the, the medicine. And the shamanic intention is really important in this. And, and it's they're they're cultivating the medicine while they're working with it spiritually and energetically too, which is really interesting.
2: Really interesting, yeah. yeah. So how, how is it prepared then? When you have you have the vine, you use the stems, mm-hmm. you use the leaf of various mm-hmm. plants, then how do you put them together to create that brew? Because it becomes this almost thick, sludgy, yeah.
0: red yeah. material, <laughs> right? Correct, correct. So with the vine, they cut it into sections, then they boil it, and then they reduce it and the maoi comes out into like this thicker sort of gelatinous sort of slime and 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 then just through boiling and adding water and reducing it you get sort of the first component with the leaf plant you dry them you dry the plants the the leaf dmt component and then you do the same thing you boil and reduce then you add those together with certain ratios and that's how you get the substance it's actually pretty simple as far as lab work is concerned Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I've been in a much more complicated lab procedure than that one. You know, UCLA, but that's a very simple reduce reduction sort of combination process.
2: Awesome. So the the ceremony to me is the most fascinating aspect here. You know, we're, we've we've entered a new kind of season of psychedelic research in the U.S. in particular. Um, there's a lot of mainstream interest, but it's all grounded in indigenous use shamanic guidance ceremonies and so in that setting can you kind of walk us through what is an ayahuasca ceremony especially as it relates to arrhythmia how does that look here in terms of what is the preparation um, how is the medicine consumed um, are there shamans involved um, how quickly does it take effect and then how long does the experience typically last
0: great all good questions so um, i've only met a few shamans in my lifetime The shamans are indigenous based people or multi, you know, multi-year, multi-generational trained people that are living, working and existing in the plant field. So um, we have a couple of shamans associated and affiliated with our facility and they train plant medicine providers in in what are out in the world are mostly plant medicine providers. People that are trained, people that are skilled, people that can handle, you know, what it takes to serve medicine and to safeguard it and to kind of take care of the guests that people are receiving. So at Rhythmia, we have a couple head shamans who are top trained people. One of them is an indigenous uh, person from, from uh, Colombia, titled Juanito. And he is uh, part of a a tribe that's, you know, lineage goes all the way back to the beginnings of ayahuasca, 5,000 plus years, whatever it is, right? So we have him as sort of our overseeing shaman. And he trains the rest of our, we have a couple other shamans, and then we have a lot of plant medicine providers. And there's like a hierarchy of sort of skill and abilities within that. So um, the preparation is, is interesting because even though the sessions in the evening start around 530, um, the prep goes into it around noon. They're, they're clearing the space. They're getting it set up with the mattresses and all the Everybody has a comfortable sort of area with pillows and blankets and stuff. And they're clearing it out with Palo Santo and Sage and a lot of different sort of smoky sort of energetic clearings. You know, I'm not an expert on that kind of stuff as a science guy, but um, they're, they're getting the space energetically prepared. So um, the guests show up. They walk in. They get an opening talk on what to expect. They've already been in classes before that, you know, a couple days before that. They've had some trainings and some orientation and some preparation on how to set intention. And they get up there and they're all ready. They have their intentions. They've been preparing physically for this with a dieta, which is a way of eating and living as long as they can before here, usually a couple months. It's a clean diet and it's a certain way of living that helps them prepare for receiving ayahuasca. And then... They'll drink about two ounces, and that is considered, I would say, a small amount in the ayahuasca world. The reason we give them about two ounces is because we want to see how people do, because most of our guests are first-time ayahuasca drinkers. We don't want to give them a, a coconut shell full of ayahuasca the first time they do it, because we're a medical facility. We're licensed by the Ministry of Health of Costa Rica. We have certain protocols. To help people um, have this work for them medicinally, but also spiritually and psychologically. So we want to ease them in a little bit. So we give them about two ounces, maybe an ounce and a half, see how they're doing. There might be some purging. They might they might throw up a bit, which is again is normal. You know, and that's an emotional release. It's a psychosomatic release of what's happening for them, which I can get into if you like also about that. But and then maybe three hours in, we'll give them another option to drink again. Sometimes it's the same amount, sometimes a little less, depending on how they're doing. And every night we'll give them two or three, maybe four opportunities to drink the medicine like that. And so by the end of the night, they're in a, in a space where they've realized a lot about themselves personally. They've worked on trauma. They have uh, breakthroughs from inner child work. They resolve addiction issues. You know, if they have a history of addiction... Anxiety and depression, you know, those kind of things do very well. And the whole time, there's a ratio here of anywhere from five to one, or at the very most, seven to one, meaning for every seven guests or every five guests, we have one staff member watching them and there's a ton of medical people that work here. We have nurses, doctors, paramedics. They're actually quite bored, to be honest, because this is a really safe environment. Everybody's medically cleared before they get here. They have to go through a lot of checks and balances before they can actually drink the medicine. So um, we have a really safe space for them to get their intentions met.
2: That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's a unique opportunity. It takes it out of the rainforest, puts it a more of a controlled environment that still is native, yeah. traditional.
0: Correct. Um, We're kind of a bridge between yeah. the Western medical world and the indigenous plant medicine jungle. Yeah. We're like the middle ground.
2: I love it. I love it. Uh, and, and so where do guests come from? I mean, are, are most of them coming from America? Do you get a lot of foreigners from, from Europe, say, even South America? I mean, where's everybody coming from? And, and how, do you, how do you look at guests and um, put them through medical evaluations to know that they're physically and mentally fit?
0: So we get guests from all over the world. Most of them come from the U.S. and Canada. We have people from all over Europe. We have people from Africa, Asia, every continent. We haven't had anybody from Antarctica. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. But we've had people from every part of the world come here. A lot of Europeans come here. And um, in order to come here, they have to go through a a medical screening over the phone with our intake department. They ask them all different questions about meds they might be on or have a history of being on, heart conditions, if they have any heart-related issues, uh, emotional situations, psychological diagnoses, all kinds of different stuff. And if they are cleared by our medical director, Dr. Arturo, he's our Costa Rican MD and we email and talk with him on the phone a lot. And he's, he's here on property at Rhythmia in Costa Rica, our medical department will screen and go through these potential guests and then they'll get cleared tentatively until they arrive. And then when they get here, we know who's coming. We're prepared for them. They're prepared for us. And we give them another quick screening. We do a nursing triage, check their blood pressure, go over nursing notes. We do a mental status exam, which is a quick uh, seeing how they're doing, um, what their intentions might be for the week. Also see if they're appropriate to drink them plant medicine. And most of them are, you know, by the time they get here, they've been checked and screened. Occasionally one or two here and there, you know, forgot about a med. They were taken and didn't disclose it. It's kind of more rare, but we try to prevent that because, you know, They're traveling from, you know, far away to usually come here. So there's a lot of checks and balances going to the play before they actually arrive.
2: And so from a safety um, angle, are there any safety concerns that people need to know of? Are there any major contraindications? Um, Who
0: shouldn't use ayahuasca? People that are currently using selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor medications, those are antidepressants. Those are contraindicated with ayahuasca because of the monoamine oxidase inhibitor component. SSRIs and MAOIs together cause serotonin syndrome, which is very dangerous. So people have to be off of those meds for 30 to 45 days, depending on the med. They have to be tapered with their help of their physician and stop and then be clear of that. Also, our benzodiazepines like Xanax and Valium and Clonopin; those are about 15 days off depending on the person, but they have to taper with those as well. They taper with their medical doctor prescribing physician. Opiates, same thing, You know, but if somebody has an opiate addiction, we look at that as maybe a longer time. Also, um, heart-related issues, if they have an AFib or if they have stints in their heart or any sort of heart surgery or different aortic valve issues, That's a contraindication as well. Um, Psychiatrically, bipolar 1 is contraindicated. And the reason for that is because it can cause a serotonin, um, too much of a a serotonin release, which can cause a manic psychosis in some people. So bipolar 1 is often uh, not recommended. But the problem is, well... There's lots of people with undiagnosed bipolar 1. <laughs> so how do you know, right? So um, different parts of the world also diagnose bipolar 1 very differently. The Asian countries look at bipolar 1 very differently. And the Confucius sort of philosophy of those nations, also very different than like a Western model. You know, whereas Westerns more individual, Confucius-based societies are more family or community oriented. So if it's not good for the community, you better get it in check. So people often are not diagnosed with things, or it's pushed under the rug, or not addressed. So people from that part of the world have shown up before, you know, with a bipolar one diagnosis, but they're not showing it in the intake. So we just monitor people closely. I get involved with Dr. Arturo to kind of just supervise the, the guests. So we've been we've been really good about you know having people be in a safe place, and if things aren't looking right. We'll have them do breath work during the week. We have an ayahuasca tincture that's really safe for anybody to use. We'll have them use that and still be a part of the ceremonies. And it's a homeopathic dose of ayahuasca. It's it's six parts per million ayahuasca. We had it tested in the SUNY uh, lab in Harlem, New York. My buddy was the dean of that school at the time. So he took a sample and put it through the gas chromatography, the IR spec and everything. And it's six parts per million. So the feds only care about anything seven parts per million and up. And so this is considered like a non-issue. So it's a tincture. So we'll give people that sometimes too if they, you know, and they can participate.
2: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So you get a taste of the medicine, more of the energy rather than the active constituent that could move you in the wrong direction. Correct. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So regarding efficacy, are are you running any studies here presently? Are you guys doing any brain brain scans? Um, I know, looking at your website, you guys claimed um, ten thousand plus souls healed. Yeah, with a ninety seven point six five percent yes miracle rate. Correct. Um, so in part, I want to understand too. What we, there's a lot of conversations around miracles here. Yes. How do you define a miracle? And and and. How do people try to achieve that here at Rhythmia?
0: What we consider a miracle is a soul merger and a healing of your heart. That's what we consider a miracle. So we have three broad intentions that we teach the guests when they get here because everybody shows up with a list of things they want to work on, which is great. We love that. But sometimes that can confuse things if they haven't gone through a certain process to get those realized. So our first intention is show me who I've become and that is a way to look at the ego and what are we showing the world that isn't authentically our true self and this is done because of trauma or fear or um, issues of abandonment from childhood that we're showing the world something that's not really us and that leads to a dissociative experience in life that we all go through to some degree or another some more than others and The goal is to come back and merge with your true self and be connected. So that leads to our second intention, which is merge me back with my soul at all costs. And that's where we stop being in a dissociated state and we come back to ourselves, we're grounded, we're empowered, we have clarity we we know who we are, and we have confidence and sovereignty. And that's like the goal. And then the next part that comes kind of at the same time as that is a healing of the trauma and a healing of the confusion that led to the separation in the first place, which mostly happens between the ages of two and seven years old for most people. So we consider that process what we call a miracle, and that leads to all these different intentions that people have for themselves. And when they leave here, they get an exit survey, and they... They write, did they achieve this? And 97 point whatever percent you said there has said yes. And so that's what we look at as a success in our program is where they're able to have this sort of remerging of soul to themselves.
2: Amazing. Yeah. So so the dissociated split, can you can you elaborate on that a little bit more?
0: Yeah. So, you know, as a psychology person without background in at UCLA and in Los Angeles in general most of my patients were dissociated. And and what that means is they were uh, unplugged from who they really were. And it was leading to addiction, causes anxiety, definitely has a lot to do with depression. And there's more extreme things that I dealt with, like dissociative identity disorder, which was multiple personality disorder. That was an extreme case I dealt with at the psych hospital at times. But most generally speaking, um, the, the dissociation is something that all disease, all illness, all um, un- unrest and, and anything that's problematic can be linked back to an unplugged dissociative state that we're, that we're in. That's what leads to unhappiness, lack of focus, um, relationship problems, um, personal problems, addictions, whatever. Because we're trying to navigate our lives without having like a compass, because our compass is, is been, we threw it out because we're dissociated. So getting back to yourself and connecting with who you are gives you your compass back. And the, the problem with that for people is it's a scary process to connect again. Because they split because of fear and trauma. It's usually how it happens. Like the, the, the analogy I give are veterans of the military. So a soldier in war dissociates to go into battle. Because in a battle, if your emotions are present, that's a scary place to be. You have fear, you have empathy, you have confusion. Those things get in the way and get you killed. So in a battle, a soldier removes their emotions and acts behaviorally only and fights. And then the battle ends and what they're supposed to do is release and come back to their emotions and feel. And we all know that's not what happens. Veterans hold those emotions in the amygdala part of the brain and then the battle's over they go home and then they're traumatized and their amygdala is ruling them subconsciously with fear and trauma and anger and confusion and they just don't even know what's going on and so that's where that leads to the suicide rate and the addiction rate that's very high in veterans now all of us have a similar state maybe not as extreme as a vet but that sort of model works for us too like i grew up in a part of los angeles that was pretty sketchy at the time and so to say the least and so I had a lot of trauma from my childhood about fear and confusion and anger and loss and I it ruled my life even though I thought it wasn't present anymore because I'd moved out of there and I went to grad school and I live in Costa Rica but uh, those those emotions that I didn't have resolved were still dictating my life and guiding me and protecting me i thought and and it caused me to have a buffer between me and the world and i never really connected with people i never really was intimate in an emotional way i was going through life on cruise control sort of uh you know thinking everything was fine but really i was guarded and i was in a fear state and plant medicine allowed me to connect with that and learn that about myself and drop my guard because that was something that served me when i was five six seven eight years old wasn't something serving me now so i understood it i felt it my amygdala connected with the, my prefrontal cortex new patterns of neuro neurological lineage were created synaptic plasticity all the things i know that your listeners really are into and the brain evolved and shifted into a new state of self-awareness that was now authentically me at my age now as opposed to operating from a five year old childhood sort of mind
2: yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, that's powerful.
0: Yeah. And the
2: plant can can heal that divide very effectively. Correct. Which is profound. I mean, are there other other things here at Rhythmia that help to kind of bridge that gap? I mean, can you speak to the yoga and the breath work and the food and, and everything else around the plant medicine too that's, that's helping to facilitate that?
0: Yeah, every single modality we offer has the same intention behind it, which is to cause an emotional release and a self-connection. So we have um, hydrocolonic, gravity-fed, ozonated cleanses that people do. That's the same sort of intention behind that—an emotional release. The food, super organic, healthy, farm-to-table, really, really high-vibration food. Same thing with that. We have meditation class. We have yoga every morning. We have um, Michael, Doctor, Re- or Reverend Michael Beckwith's Agape curriculum here called the answer is you that's also the same sort of intentions behind that we do plant integration classes which are help people understand the context of what went on the night before every single thing we do whether it's body work the sauna the hot cold plunge the the volcanic mud all of those events and things that we have on the property are all to help people ground into themselves release emotion and to connect with their authentic self in breath breathwork included. We have breathwork that's done on Friday, Saturday, Sunday evenings, which is a powerful modality.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the land is amazing. Yes. And when you're here, yeah. you're just transported to another place and it just being here is really healing. Yes. In and of itself, I mean, it's such a beautiful facility. The past that walk around and yeah. The fauna, the flora, the yeah. sights, the sounds. The people. The people. The I mean, Costa everybody Ricans. that works here uh-huh. is just so smiley and so friendly. And, yeah. and 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 they work so hard.
0: Correct. So yeah. it's
2: just it's a real blessing, honestly, to be here.
0: That's great. I appreciate that compliment. That's really nice of you to say. This is a blue zone. Right. So a blue zone, right, as I'm sure you guys know, is uh it meets certain criteria. For, for well-being and wellness it's not only just clean air clean water clean food it has to do with like social structure it has to do with like how elderly are treated how children are treated how women are treated what's the politics of the the family culture you know what's going on around here is there a lot of cars there's a lot of pollution there isn't what are animal rights like there's no hunting allowed in Costa Rica it's illegal yeah so everything in this area is super connected in like this ecological way that humans are evolved in. That's the way that I, I believe the way that it's supposed to be, like globally. So Costa Rica itself is a, like a model for how the world can be with solar power and all kinds of amazing sort of energetic things. If you ask the Costa Rican staff, like how old are your grandparents? You just you could ask any of them. They're in the hundreds. All of them have grandparents that are 112, 106. Oh, my grandma just turned 102. <laughs> it's wild amazing. it is they're happy they're healthy yep. they're active and they're eating high vibrational foods all the time and the animals are hilarious because like the monkeys you see, have you seen monkeys yeah yet? Yep. so they're just chilling like they're not afraid of anything because <laughs> nobody's hurting them and nobody's nobody's feeding them but nobody's hurting them everything's existing together in the same space it's incredible and there's ocelots and all kinds of big cats you know it's amazing It's amazing. Yeah.
2: But it's nice because the whole retreat center is enclosed. Yes. So you have a fence up and I I feel totally safe. And I think all the guests here feel really safe throughout the day, during ceremony, at night, walking around with all the lights. It's incredibly safe.
0: That's the goal. Because if you don't feel safe, you can't go deep. Everybody that comes here has some sort of issue that's fear-based or trauma-based to some degree. And they got to feel safe to go deep to resolve it. So that's our main purpose, it's safety, emotional and physical.
2: Yeah. So, so given the rise of plant medicine right now, um, it, it's, it seems like it might be a viable option to, to just traditional psychotherapy. I mean, do you think that it can be supportive of that? Do you think it can be more effective than that? Can it replace that in time? There's a lot more conversation. There's a lot more research Right now in this area, again, as I mentioned, especially in the U.S., um, but really it's starting to bring science into the conversation. So it's validating safety, it's validating efficacy, um, and I think you're going to start changing some people's minds.
0: I agree. Yeah. And what I've noticed here is that as the years have gone on that we've been open, we're getting more and more clinical-based guests, psychologists, MFTs, psychiatrists, Lots of people that do counseling, LCSWs, a lot of those people are coming here as guests because they're seeing in their practice back wherever they're from in LA or US or Canada or wherever that a lot of their, their patients are re- reaching a plateau in therapy and they're, the patients are coming down to Rhythmia or other places and drinking ayahuasca and coming back and stopping therapy because they're, they're healed so, or they've made these huge strides and so there's a there's definitely a shift happening in the clinical practices that are going on with therapy, and I think that you know with MAPS for example, MAPS is starting to um, they've had for a while now a lot of uh, clinical based people that are helpful on integration with people that have been through plant medicine ceremonies that are now familiar with the process and are integrating people after they get home. So I think that therapy and plant medicine can go hand in hand, and there's it's starting to. And I I do believe there's a role for both um, because people can have this amazing experience in their week here, but if they go home and don't implement the tools they've learned, they can quickly kind of regress back to the the same old stuff. Um, So they have to really be able to start to have confidence to use the tools and to use the clarity that they've achieved in a practical sense. And I think the, the clinical people will play a big role in that. So those that are the clinical people that are taking this on and and looking at it are the ones that are going to you know be at the forefront of this move forward.
2: And moving forward, do you think that there's a place for what I call pharma huasca pills? Absolutely. So so bringing together the DMT either in a purified format or a, a freeze dried extract with the alkaloids, putting that together into a tincture, yeah. a pill. So you do think there's a place outside of traditional indigenous ceremonies in more of a clinical setting yeah
0: definitely i think there's a range of sort of environments that this can happen i think the pharma example is and i've used that same word myself because i think it's a great word and i do believe that's going to be happening and effective and you know people say okay what about that shamanic side and all that sort of stuff well yes there is a place for that that is important however not everyone can go do that not everybody like should we should we hold this practice back and not allow people that really need it, but maybe can't come to the jungle or come to Costa Rica or whatever? No, this should be available to people that can access it in Manhattan, New York, and they need it to help with their mood or, or help stabilize their trauma. Or You know, it's 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 a very powerful medicine. And I do believe set and setting are, are key. But um, there's going to be a role for a more pharmaceutical-based, organic, you know, respectful, obviously, um, medicine that can be used in those settings. I really do. I love it. I
2: love it. So, you know, just to to wrap things up here… Kind of what's what's next on the horizon for Rhythmia? Like, what's, what are you guys putting your attention to? What's your focus here moving forward over the course of the next several years?
0: Well, um, our CEO, Jerry Powell, is really big on perfecting what we're currently doing. And so that's why we collect so much data from the guests about who got their miracle, what classes did they attend, how many massages did they get, did they eat all their food, or you know, did they attend all the meals, did they attend all the ceremonies? And we're constantly fine-tuning to get Rhythmia to be as, as efficient and successful as we possibly can. So that's a big part of what we're doing. But the other thing that's new is we're doing a housing project with about 800 homes in a community nearby that is for people to live. And it's a conscious community where there'll be plant medicine served, breath work, and it's a place where people will like, you know, they can own a house there and vacation there, or they could live there, you know, and it's going to be a, a really cool environment where they can be around like-minded people. So that's a big part of what we're doing as well. And there's likely going to be an expansion of rhythmia to other countries where it's legal, you know, other parts of the world where, you know, people can access this modality in a, in a closer way instead of taking three flights and traveling 20 hours, you know. <laughs> so we'll, we'll probably have more rhythmias around the globe at some point soon here.
2: Amazing. Well, thank you for your time, Jeff. It's, it's super enlightening. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's nice having you. Thanks so much for talking. This was a great interview. I appreciate it. You're a great interviewer. <laughs> thank you.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only. The podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should not use the information on the podcast for diagnosing or treating a health problem or disease, or prescribing any medication or other treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider before taking any medication or nutritional, herbal, or homeopathic supplement and with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this or any other podcast. Reliance on the podcast is solely at your own risk. Information provided on the podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship between you and any of the health professionals affiliated with our podcast. Information and statements regarding dietary supplements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to therein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician. This podcast is owned by Neurohacker Collective.